Uh, thank you everybody for joining us for War Cry podcast, where topic today is covering missing in Washington, uh, particularly in the Yakima Nation area and other tribal members. Our intent today is we are sharing names from the Washington State Patrol list of missing from the Yakima Nation area and other tribal cases in which families have requested we uh, help get the word out. This, our conversation today will include a review of history, policy, and lasting impacts regarding uh, missing and murdered Indigenous women. And again, welcome to this episode of War Cry Podcast. We are an all Native run podcast discussing data, events, stories, issues, and historical connections about Northwest missing and murdered Natives. Thank you for joining us for this episode. My name is Emily Washings, and co-hosts today are Patsy Whitefoot, Robin Peebushy, and Lucy Smartlow. And to begin with, we have an announcement regarding some funding for MMIW uh, families. And I'm gonna turn that over to Patsy to explain uh, that funding opportunity. Um, good morning, this is Patricia Whitefoot. Uh, just wanted to announce uh, funding that's available through the Naha Ilihi Fund uh, in Seattle, Washington. So the purpose of the fund is to provide assistance to uh, indigenous individuals and families most in need of, of support from the mis regarding the missing and murdered indigenous women's and people crisis. And by working with uh, the organization in Seattle, the focus is going to be on uh, missing relatives in Washington, Oregon, Alaska, Idaho, Montana, and British Columbia. Family members, uh, immediate family members can apply for uh, $1,000 uh, through this fund uh, to provide support for family members missing, loved ones, and it's very flexible how families want to be able to use the funding. It could be um, awareness campaigns, aftercare services, candlelight vigils, uh, sending things home for ceremonies and funeral expenses. And so you can find the application on the Healy org, and we have that available for you to be able to access. And if you have any questions, uh, please feel free to call uh, Joni Crines, who is the program officer. Her number is 206-565-8041. Again, that's Joni Crines at 206-565-8041. We established a very simple application. We want to also make certain that you have a documentation for these expenses. And um, the amount of funding that we have available is $100,000. And as you learn more about this opportunity, please feel free to share it with relatives. We're sharing as much as we can throughout the Northwest. And once the applications come in with the documentation, we're reviewing them immediately. Uh, Joni is reviewing them and action is taken immediately. And there should be, if you qualify, there should be um, a check that's made available to you within a week. Again, if you have any questions, please call Joni. 
Thank you, Emily. And uh, is there anything else to add for announcements? Okay, thank you, Patricia, for giving that excellent summary. I am uh, continually impressed by your ability to synthesize complex information. Uh, thank you. Goals. <laughs> Um, and again, if you if family members do have requests, uh, please send us a message or a note. Um, Lucy and Robin and Patricia uh, have you know really been trying to help get the word out to families, uh, and as well as myself, I've sent to a few. Uh, again, we're going to turn to some of the data from the Washington State Patrol uh, missing person list. This information was compiled as a part of. Uh, Washington State Legislature uh, House bills written by Representative Gina Mossbrecher. Um, because of multi-jurisdictional issues in other states, uh, the state necessarily doesn't necessarily take such a heavy, fast, intense role in compiling lists. So this is a very new approach to compiling a lot of information about uh, missing people. And just to give you an aspect of the process is Washington State Patrol checks with every law enforcement uh, before they upload uh, this list online. Uh, I'm going to uh, just talk about the missing person information form from the tribe. Oh, actually, Robin's got the full list. So the complete list of names are over 100 on the screen that you can see here. And you can see the reporting agent in the middle, the ages, the names, and the last contact, as well as the agency contact information. And you can find that at, uh, at the Washington State Patrol uh, website. I think if you were trying to Google it, you could also Google Washington State Patrol Indigenous uh, People's List. Sometimes these agency sites are very uh, heavy and dated. It's a lot of names. Yeah, I believe there's over 100 names on this list of um, men, women, and uh, two-spirit individuals, though they do not have the gender on uh, here that I can see. Mm. And we will be reading off uh, the names, my co-host will be reading off the names of the individuals um, from the Yakima area and those that have, and sharing the flyers from families that have requested us to do so from this list. Anything else to add on this? Oh, actually we should say the tribal liaisons uh, Patsy, do you want to make a note about the tribal liaisons or? Uh, sure. They are. I'll read off their contact information and then I'll turn it over to you for just saying okay. who are the Russian State Patrol tribal liaisons. Uh, Patty Ghosh is one of the tribal liaisons at the Washington State Patrol. And she is at patty.ghosh at wsp.gua.gov. And we also have Don Poland. And her email is 
Dawn, D-A-W-N.Pullin, P-U-L-L-I-N, at WST.wa.gov. And if there's information about a loved one, you can send their that to them. And uh, you can also, in order to, for them to post a photo, you need to give them some level of clearance. And I wanted to turn it to Patsy just to give a little bit more explanation about their role as a tribal liaison. That could be a big word for some tribal members. What does a liaison do? What could family members expect when reaching out to them? And so basically in response to the legislation that Gina Moss Booker worked on, uh, individuals came forward to the state legislature and uh, made recommendations about what they would like to see. And as a result of that, a, a legislative position or a liaison position was established. And um, excuse me, my phone, I'm trying to turn it off. <laughs> Um, and so as a result of that, uh, uh, there were interviews held and applicants uh, that, were, that were interviewed. And th there was only one individual at that time uh, that, um, uh, that was selected and that was for Western Washington. That individual, of course, that only name was Patty Ghosh. And Patty has an extensive uh, background in working in law enforcement. And so she was the one selected. And uh, once COVID hit uh, during that time, the other position for Eastern Washington wasn't uh, named. And so because of tribal leadership, uh, particularly Carol Evans, the chairwoman of the Spokane tribe and her staff attorney, uh, they advocated for that to be filled regardless of the COVID. And so, uh, Don Pullen uh, was named uh, to the Eastern Washington liaison positions. Now these two individuals work together, communicate with one another with the Washington State Patrol and the work at the State Patrol just continues on. As a matter of fact, I just shared with um, the co-hosts that uh, I just had a call this past week from uh, the Bellevue Washington State Patrol office, you know, inquiring about um, Helen Doe, who uh, in 1991 was um, traveling in a truck with a trucker and there was a crash and uh, people burned and however they were able to establish that Helen Doe was, was Native American. And so the fact that the Washington State Patrol is reaching out to us, I think is important for us. And I did ask the individual if she'd be willing to uh, be interviewed about that particular case because it's important that we get the word out about you know what's going on around us and this is here in the state of Washington that this occurred and the state patrol doesn't know who this individual is and so anything that you uh, can do to help support you know na our native women here in Washington you know it's really appreciated and so look forward to further conversation as we continue this important work. Thank you, Emily. Yeah, oh, yeah, I actually had a conversation with Washington State Patrol liaisons this morning as well. Uh, there was a, a name on their list of a minor that is no longer uh, missing, they're home safe. And so I uh, needed to contact them and let them know um, that their list needs to be updated at some point. 
And, you know, I think in multi-jurisdictional issues and multi-jurisdictional arenas and areas, you always look to the people that can just streamline it and gets in and out like the target lines. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, I'm feeling a little tense from this topic. So I make jokes when I'm tense. Um, <laughs> And, you know, it does go to this question about, you know, we have this list of missing people. In 2019, the tribe was having uh, joint meetings with the Washington State Patrol in this area. One was in Legends Casino. And in 2019, they released, uh, the Yakima Nation Police Department released a missing persons information sheet that was prepared by the Criminal Investigations Division. And you know, we wanted to share that with our audience and our people because we're not sure how many of our own tribal members know about this missing person form. And we're also not sure how much uh, other tribes have missing pe persons forms. And I'm gonna turn it over to Lucy just to give people a sense of uh, what is needed, what kind of information is needed for those forms. Thanks, Emily. Um, so. It's important, I feel, for anybody to keep track of some of this information, um, especially when we know that some of our relatives are out there and um, you know they're going from place to place, or they're um, you know traveling by themselves, and you know, so it's just a good thing to have on hand. Um, I just think in general. So some of the information that's requested on here is the last known physical address. If they are possibility at risk of suicide. And um, most, most importantly is when and where and by whom the missing person was last seen. Um, it's also important to keep details of their descriptions. If you have any pictures, um, I, I, my understanding is to submit pictures without any filters on them so they could be clear pictures of the individual, identifying the circumstances of the disappearance, and then um, just social media activity, it, any information that you think would be helpful, uh, you know, is laid out on the form itself, but sometimes we don't always capture that. So even if there was something else that had come up in regards to a situation, it doesn't hurt to provide additional information that could lead to the possibility of them being missing. Um, so this form is available and it's also encouraged to look at um, what other organizations, um, what they require for uh, reporting a missing person as well, because it can vary a little bit depending on which organization is taking the information. But to start off with um, the missing persons information for the accommodation is, is this one. Thank you, Lucy. And uh, you can get this information again from the Aquanation uh, Police Department. They released this in 2019. Uh, and in order to remove a minor from uh, a list, of, you would need to bring them to the station with the guardian to ver make verification with an officer. Uh, so that is one process that I learned about uh, this morning. Uh, in order to verify that a minor was found safe, that's on the Washington State Patrol list, which um, we will not be sharing that minor's name. 
uh, but we will be sharing some other people's. And we're gonna pull up a slide and read off some of those uh, names, starting with, Robin, do you wanna do the first column? Sure. Okay, or as many columns as you want. <laughs> sure, I'll do the first one. Okay. So we have uh, Dakota W. Cumminout, Elias C. Culps, Adam C. George, Clayton G. Gibson Jr., Janice Hennigan, Michael E. Hansen, Daisy M. Heath Tallman, Ira E. Kaklamet, Rosalita F. Longi, Justin L. McConville, and Maddie J. McConville. Do you want to take the next column, Lucy? Yeah. We have Earl N. Patrick, Anthony C. Peters, Roberta J. Raines, Eleanor M. Trujillo, Roland E. Sanawa San, Roland J. Spencer, Alberta Stay High, Shadow D. M. Starr, Tyler J. M. Starr, and Daniel T. Sampson. Janessa J. Villa, Karen L. J. Wallahi, Raymond Watlimit, Garcia V. Wolf, Ira Yellup Sr., and Eric Washington Cloud. And we also have some additional information and poster. I think the first one we'll pull up is Daisy, oh, Violet Berry. Uh, do you wanna go off, uh, read some of this information, Patsy? Okay, um, again, these are posters that families put together. We have Violet Berry from the Culver Reservation from the uh, Nespelum and Omac area, missing since April, 2021. And, um, and you can help, you can read along with us. Um, her age was about 30 years, like many of our American Indian people live long hair, brown hair, uh, about 160 pounds. And if you have any information on it, please contact the Colville Tribal Police. And again, Violet Berry from Colville area has been missing since April, 2021. The next one that's missing is Retha May Finkbonner. Uh, she was 30 years old and uh, she was last seen September 3rd, uh, 1921, just a few days ago in Las Vegas, Nevada. And this one has been in uh, particularly the tribal news. And of course, uh, Retha May Finkbonner is from uh, the Lummi area. And here's some information that we have on her disappearance during her vacation in Las Vegas with her fiance and her friends. And just a quick uh, correction note, it's, uh, she was last seen September 3rd, 2021. 
but Patsy has decades of work behind her. So uh, 1921 seems like yesterday. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry about that. No, it's okay. Okay, and if you have any information, please contact the Lummi Police Department or the Las Vegas Police Department as well. Thank you, Emily. Mm -hmm. uh, missing female, uh, Janice Marie Hennigan, uh, missing since March 1st, 1971 here in Washington State. And there have been um, you know, a number of articles uh, that the family has um, worked on with uh, the newspaper. And just again, uh, Janice Marie Hennigan. I think she was from the community of White Swan. And so of course you would contact um, the Yakima Nation Police or FBI as well. Okay, missing um, and taken indigenous people. Anthony Peters, uh, missing from the Yakima Reservation since October, 2014. He was age 56 when he went missing. Uh, he was last seen at the Legends Casino here in Toppenish, and he also went by Tony or Anthony Colfax Peters. And if you have any information about him, please contact the Yakimo Police or also the FBI. Again, the name is Anthony Peters, commonly known as Tony. Um, missing is my uh, sister, Daisy May Heath, um, because we didn't know the actual date when she went missing. Uh, it was late summer, early fall. We just put August 30th, 1987 from, from my home in White Swan. Uh, she was uh, 29 years old when she first went missing in, uh, again, long black hair. And when you make a report in NamUs, which is what I did is made a report into NamUs, they'll ask for more features. But if you have any questions about it, please uh, reach out to any one of us or just contact NamUs on your own if you would like to put information in there. Um, and here we have in NamUs, uh, we do, you can contact NamUs or you can contact the Yakmanisha Police or the FBI as well. Uh, Daisy Mayheath. Um, missing is Kaylee May Nelson Jerry, uh, age 21 years old. And it looks like she went missing in 2020. Oh, she was last seen uh, July 1st, 2019 from Auburn, Washington. And contact, um, again, the Auburn Police Department or you know, the Muckleshoot tribe is right there in Auburn as well, or in our case, because jurisdictional issues, we can also contact the FBI as well. Again, this is Kaylee May Nelson Jerry. Okay, the next individual is Ira Kennedy Yellup Sr. or Ira Hayes, missing since May 20th. 2010 from the Dallas, Oregon. 
he was age 47 when he went missing. He was last seen at the Lone Pine fishing site on the Oregon side. And if you know anything about this particular case, please call the Yakima Tribal Police again or the FBI. He's also listed in NamUs as well. Again, Ira Kennedy Yallop Sr. Uh, thank you so much, Patsy and my co-hosts for reading off the names and to the families that are, you know, waiting for answers and status of their loved ones, we, our heart goes out to you. Um, again, for the Yakima Nation cases, they call the Yakima Nation Tribal Police at 509-865-2933 or the FBI or the Washington uh, State Patrol. Uh, you know, in thinking about these names and these, uh, how much we've heard about them and awareness, I wonder if we can, you know, chat about that a little bit because we're seeing this conversation happen in our community it's not really something we can uh, avoid. It's, you know, people are out there talking about, you know, what do you think about the coverage for MMIW? And I'm gonna uh, turn it over to uh, Robin for uh, that. Uh, thank you. It's been a really um, hard, issue to kind of uh, put a, uh, I'm not Richard, to get a handle of because uh, we recently had seen in the media widespread national coverage of uh, uh, the Petito case and kind of the development under there. Um, as I was even speaking to my mother, she had a lot of frustrations that she didn't really know how to articulate in the sense that, um, you know, she right away identified, well, if this had been a couple of color or if this had been a black couple, how would this have been dealt with? And, you know, she admitted herself, she goes, I think they probably would have arrested the boyfriend pretty quickly um, and really honed in on any mental instability that the female may have had, you know, things like that. And it really kind of, she really kind of uh, articulated what I was starting to feel. Um, and then kind of what the, the whole of Indian country was starting to express. And so we had seen a lot of memes coming out about uh, kind of like the, the national coverage because of race or because of like dominant society, uh, not necessarily showing anything that has to do with uh, MMIW or MMIP, um, as particularly to this area. So in this area, I think even within the, the parks that they were at, there were many missing ind indigenous women and people, um, but they had not gotten the same coverage. And it's really kind of hard to tread those areas because while it feels, we feel the frustration of Indian country uh, because we are in it, it's in the end, it's kind of like, I think it was important to have this coverage. I'm glad that there's some, some form of closure for the family, but then on the other hand, there isn't that coverage for MMIW. So it's like, we need to acknowledge both. Uh, I would like 
all missing people to be granted that coverage and to be granted that kind of um, spotlight to say, hey, let's get this resolved. Let's get these people found. Let's find something um, that can give any form of respite to the family um, or families involved. Uh, and then later on, as uh, the memes evolved, I also saw people backlashing against the memes because they had found out about the domestic violence that had happened within the relationship. So even um, other indigenous like posters, people are post people who post um, on social media, they were even saying we need to stop this, you know, like we understand the, the hurt and the things that are going on. But we also need to, to say and in general that domestic violence needs to end overall. Like this leads into other issues. It's kind of like, we feel the pain, we understand what's going on, but despite that it, it's like, yes, it's still pointing out the lack of coverage for uh, Indian country and missing and murdered indigenous people, but we just want these uh, things to end in general. We want to have, we don't want anybody missing anymore. We don't want anybody to go through any domestic violence or any kind of violence like that anymore. In general, anybody, uh, be it like any people of color and any uh, native people uh, or Caucasian people or anything like that. And I would have to agree because that, that resonates with me more. Just kind of like, yeah, let's change the culture of, you know, as they say, like rape culture, let's change um, any kind of violence culture or, or anything like that. Um, let's change all of it. But that still doesn't say that there isn't coverage for MMIW, which there isn't. We have seen some but it's still not enough and it wouldn't be enough to cover all of the cases that are present currently um, in any reservation. Like even if we just took the cases for Yakima, the coverage that was given even through Dateline and stuff is still not enough. Okay, mm -hmm. I'm good. Uh, thank you, Robin, for pointing out the, uh, the points in Gabby's case and I think you know, our, my heart goes out to her family and everybody that was waiting for status and to have it in such a public way seems very difficult. And um, it does bring up these differences in reporting, not only in jurisdictions, but also in media, uh, as you say. I am gonna kind of take a history approach. We'll share another quote um, at the end of the conversation that was in KIMA, but I'm gonna talk a little bit about history. You know, we, that's something that we talk about and bring up is history and policy. So if we look at the differences between media coverage from our first MMIW report in 1855, the newspapers responded with acts of genocide. So anything, any baby step that comes from there, any difference that sways away from that uh, is going to be better. And I think there is a lack of understanding about who tribes are, a lack of understanding about the process, about the jurisdiction, about even knowing which families are connected. I will say that in general, a majority of the flyers that we got, the last names are not the same between the individual that's providing the information and the individual that's missing. You know, that is knowledge that we as tribal members have and hold, and it can be very difficult to make those connections uh, as somebody that's outside of this community and this tribe. Um, 
So, I mean, for me, it, it's hard for me to be critical about any efforts, any media is making, even if it's very small, but I want to kind of, what's the coaching message we give to media to say, like, get out there. The worst you can do is probably not say and claim genocide against the Nation, which is what previous press have done. So why don't you try to just put forward whatever paragraph, it, if any one of those uh, missing people that we've listed earlier had at least a paragraph in news and readership so that the information was accessible to the community, I feel like the community will respond. And so families won't feel alone with this. They won't feel like nobody cares in this. And so that's my uh, best coaching effort there. Uh, Lucy. Thanks, Emily. Um, so while I was listening to both you and Robin share your thoughts and recommendations on this issue, it actually brought me back to uh, graduate, you know, graduate school. And when I was attending graduate school, um, there was this presentation about, you know, the disparities of people of color. And what was really interesting is that it was from an outside organization, you know, and the graduate school that I went to is supposed to be really renowned for um, the people, the social workers that they produced. But when she was going through the slide, um, we were actually listed as, uh, as other. And so one of the things that had been brought up in this conversation um, to this individual who was non-Indigenous but presenting to an Indigenous cohort was that, well, why aren't we on this list of you know, people or ethnicities and whatnot? And she's like, well, you guys aren't statistically significant, so there wasn't enough data to be able to support it. So I feel like this has been the ongoing theme, not just in the media, but in academia and just in general overall. And it places the burden of responsibility on us as a community, um, on our families to have to uh, step up and report and be taken seriously or demand to be taken seriously. And um, when I think about this overall thing, like I'm, I'm not surprised by the lack of media coverage that indigenous people receive. And I'm also not shocked that um, Gabby Petito's case, you know, uh, went the way that it did. Um, what I am sad about is the fact that, you know, like Robin was saying, with a lot of the memes that have come out, you know, there was a reported 710 Indigenous women also missing from Wyoming, and um, how 50 57% are female, and 85% of those missing kids are, 85% of them are also missing kids. So when I think about that in context, like, why isn't there more of an uproar? You know, why aren't our allies or where are our allies in this situation right now? Why is that burden of responsibility placed upon us to have to continually demand that we be significant enough to be mentioned in media and us having to, you know, utilize the, the minimal resources that we have? Every MMIW page that I follow is ran by community members. There is no actual uh, resource center that I know of that provides funding specifically for that. And as somebody who um, you know, has different family experiences in this, 
I, I think that's really frustrating and that's really sad that there is not one resource um, that we could actually find that will specifically fund and provide the support within our tribal communities or within our rural areas. So um, I, I also think this is a good topic after we interviewed Connie Walker in, in discussing the fact that, um, you know, her, some of the struggles that she had experienced in reporting. And so when I think about recommendations, because I don't want to talk about this just as a problem, but when I think of recommendations, media also needs to give us that space to be able to tell our own stories and for us to do it in a way um, that we feel validated and that we feel heard. Because, you know, typically media does define us by the disparity or the issues that were happening or, you know, really leads to this biased um, translation of what was happening with the situation. And I think the more that we have that um, platform to be able to talk about it like right now is, is when it's most critical and, and we need to be out there more to be able to advocate for that. Thank you, Lucy. Patsy? So I just want to uh, thank the women for uh, sharing uh, from their perspective of this issue, the missing and murdered Indigenous women and people, particularly in the context of what's going on in the media today. Um, more recently, um, I was interviewed uh, and I was asked about, well, what is my social emotional learning superpower? And I responded to it in a way in a, as an educator and as an educator, you know, I have to think about our children who are in the schools by working in the schools, uh, you know, the 40 plus years that I did, you know, I found this as a major issue is asking myself, how are our children contending with this? Um, I recall more recently, you know, a child who was coming to school and her mother had been murdered, but yet she was coming to school. And it made me think about the same thing that happened when my sister Daisy was hit by um, a motor vehicle as she was running to school. She'd return her little kitten back home because the kitten came and followed us to the school bus. And she was hit by a, uh, a motor vehicle and we all witnessed it. And it was a devastating experience. And my grandmother immediately took her to the hospital, but to when we got to school, my sisters and I, we all ended up in the nurse's room, but no one said anything to us about what had just happened. No one talked to us about it. It's something that we had to deal with on our own. And I think it's the same thing that happens in our schools today with our children. So I, I wanna approach this from you know the children's work that goes on because I think many of you know that I also work with our little swan dancers. Last night we had practice with our, our little girls. And it's you know focusing on helping our young people to understand this as well and understand trauma and what it means and having conversations with our young people about what's going on around us because our children, they are our future. They are our leaders today. And it's up to us to be able to, to help support them and nurture them along the way. So when I was um, thinking about, you know, my own, my superpower, you know, in terms of uh, responding to school systems, um, for me, what was important was to acknowledge 
my my current understanding of our tribal history and where we come from, our identity, and our changing life experiences that we are all undergoing. And throughout that process, I've come to, for me, trust is important. And I pointed out that through the work that's going to be going on in schools, um, that trust is going to be important in working not only with our children, but with our families uh, and all of our family members, including our elders and grandparents and the students throughout this process. And because of COVID, um, you know, there's more and more talk about providing for the social emotional needs of our children, which has been clearly missed. And it's the same thing with the media as well. That's something that uh, the media may use in terms of their writing, but do they really get engaged with the context behind it all with what's presented in the media? And, and for us, there's so much that we have to overcome with you know, the, our generations of families who've, who've lived under you know, some of the principles of the doctrine of discovery. It's not some, it's all doctrine of discovery and the Catholic churches, papal bulls, religious organizations that viewed us as savages and heathens. And of course, it's taken us years to recover from these atrocious viewpoints and treatment of us as human, as being human, when we stop to think about it, I mean, all we have to do is know that Halloween is coming up and there's going to be these stereotypical costumes, um, these atrocious costumes that portray Indian people, you know, these headdresses and et cetera. And it just really angers me and irritates me. And so we have to constantly, you know, work from being inhuman to being human. And it's not one that we should be undertaking. It's one that society must reckon with. And we probably have to reckon with ourselves as well when we think about this kind of treatment that we had. And I asked myself, then did we take that kind of attitude toward ourselves and belittle ourselves as well? So there's so much work that needs to be done in working with the media, but also it takes hard work in working with ourselves. And uh, just for me, it's been important to, to know that I had trust in grandparents and, and elders and families in my life. And um, so because of that, I think that they're the ones that are moving us toward our own healing, our own personal healing. And so that means healing with all these institutions that were impacted by and those institutions include media but it also includes law enforcement and it includes education it includes uh, the federal government state government all of these institutions and their policies that impact our lives on a daily basis and so for me what I wish for and pray for in the lives of our children is that these institutions that impact us, you know, come to uh, some resolution, but also uh, self, uh, some introspection about the work that they do. As a matter of fact, I was just on a conference call and something that I talked about, about bureaucracies, and, and everyone needs to step forward and come to some resolution about these issues that we're talking about. So it's going to take a, a, a a total examination of, of these issues that are a part of what we're living in today. 
Thank you, Emily. Thank you, Patricia. I love the aspect that you brought up about, you know, our children are watching. And I think, and especially about your uh, grandparents and growing up and even what you've been able to do with, you know, getting out the message with the little swans. Um, I think, I think about this message about watching and who's there and how much we, you know, take the resources and we do our best with them, you know, and our mm -hmm. podcast is an example of that. The Washington State Patrol list was just released a few days ago. The original intent of this episode was very different. Uh, but, you know, my co-hosts and I, you know, we're able to elevate those voices and message of our missing loved ones. And, and we're doing the best with what we can. And we plan to uh, make this a regular segment of announcing um, our missing uh, loved ones' names. And on this topic of watching and witnessing and who's saying what, uh, we see that Cole Miller from Como was having some Twitter conversation. Uh, one of my co-hosts want to kind of read this out a little bit. So we are watching the press and we are also watching your movements and what you say. And this aspect of assessing yourselves is something that I feel like is important validation of tribal members to know and to hear, like you haven't been doing the best job, admit it and then do better. That one of my co-hosts want to read uh, off his quote. Sure. Uh, so again, we got this pulling from Twitter, uh, which Warcry is a part of. But uh, <laughs> so of course we have uh, community people saying like, next time you do a story, ask why we are barely hearing this. Ask for all the missing women names. Ask if the tribe has asked for anything with these missing persons. Get the whole story, Cole. Dig in. Uh, the root of the problem, what is the protocol when someone is missing on the res? Uh, and reply is all valid questions. In this case, with her being missing out of state, tribal police aren't able to do much. As for why these stories aren't getting out there, that's on us, the media. To do a better job, the AG's task force also aims to help families come forward. And again, the context of this conversation, they were talking about the Aretha May Finkbonner case. Uh, she has been missing in Las Vegas when she was on vacation with her fiance and friends. And, um, you know, seeing this kind of validation, it really took me by surprise that they're just kind of admitting like we haven't done the best and we need to do better. Uh, but I think we're going to be hearing that more and more um, from press. Uh, I also gave a quote with, to KIMA article on the Aretha Finkbonner case. Uh, the family has also talked about the lack of response, you know, when their situations seem very similar in the time frame, also seem very similar in terms of her being missing the fiance. And the quote that I gave is, you know, what it's showing is when press give time for families there is a high community response. You know, we want to find these missing women, whether they're native or any other ethnicity. And, you know, I keep saying, you know, because I get so nervous about making this point. It seems like something that's a very big given and even explaining it to, as Patricia has outlined, you know, our children explaining that it's, you're not necessarily gonna have the same equal coverage is difficult, um, but we're doing everything we can to change that. Um, does any of my other co-hosts have um, some additional thoughts? I just wanted to add, Emily, that I, 
I think just our outreaching as well to families is important. We're, you know, for instance, I'm with the Swan Dance families and um, they want to talk about similar kinds of situations and asking for advice. I think that, you know, we need to validate the important work that's being done here with getting this communication out there because as families, it's that lack of communication that wasn't evident when my sister first went missing. There was no communication at all. And so I think the fact that we're communicating, building awareness on this topic is important. And just the fact that you're, you're out in the community as well doing work. Uh, we may not all be out there because of COVID, but we've been able to uh, depend on technology to help get this information out there as well. So I think it's important that we continue this kind of work and begin that dialogue uh, because families are asking and they want to know. Uh, I stop, I'm in a grocery store and I'll see somebody, you know, who I know has a family member missing and just begin talking to them and ask them if they would like to be a part of the show and, and share. So there is an outlet for them for family members to be able to articulate and express, you know, some of their frustration, but also what they would like to see in the future and what can be done to make just improvements overall. So important question. And uh, I think a, a great dialogue today. Thank you. Others? I just wanted to add really quickly along with that is I know that with some of our social media posts, we've had some people comment um, and express concern that their loved ones were not on the list. And um, I just want to acknowledge that in our community, if, if there's anything that we can do, even if you're not ready to talk about it, but just to make us aware that you feel like your loved one should be on the list, I feel like we're, we're able to be here as a resource and acknowledge them and that situation and circumstances and do what we can to be able to um, increase awareness as well. Um, I just um, wanted to put that out there because I know at times, you know, the community can be intimidated or, you know, maybe they feel like they're not being heard. And so I think as long as, you know, you know that we're, we're able to provide that space, I think that's important. Robin? I just want to say thank you for the conversation. This has been really uh, great to um, just kind of be able to openly share as a frustration. Like, obviously, we don't speak for all of Indian country or anything like that. But, you know, just as a Native woman, these are, you know, this is what I've been feeling. And this is what comes up when I scroll through any kind of like Instagram or Facebook or something. And um, I really appreciate those people who have the, the bravery to uh, kind of point out these systems and point out like what we all seem to be feeling and make it known. Uh, because if we don't do that, then, you know, obviously people don't know that even even the people like posting on Twitter and things like that, just saying like, hey, you guys seem to do better. And then um, like Como and these other spaces saying, okay, you're right, we do. And so that was always, that's really great to see. Um, and if we can just continue this momentum and to encourage, um, and I guess that's kind of like how we feel we are as a group, is like we're not going to be the one all stop all shop all type thing when it comes to MMIW or MMIP, but we want to elevate all other 
platforms and all other people who share these resources and information. We're just a tool for people to use so that um, we can get the word out. You know, we have our people who watch, we have uh, the dialogues that we do. So please, if anybody on our next episodes or when we have this segment again, uh, don't be afraid just to share, you know, what we are. We know sometimes it's hard to um, speak up about it. That's all for me. Yeah, and I, I'll, I'm going to give an outro and a war cry, and then we're going to turn it to this um, aspect of um, the question that we all like to ask and have in conversation about self-care from uh, Lucy. So again, we are an Indigenous-led podcast surviving under the duress of colonization and intergenerational trauma towards self-determination. We want to give a war cry to uh, Liz on her travels with her son, to the Strong family, to Cole Miller at Como, to Tammy Ayer for continued coverage on MMIW through the Vanished page at Yakima Herald Republic, to Washington State Patrol for updating this missing persons list, to the Yakima Nation Police for providing a missing person report form, and to the families and loved ones of missing indigenous people. Uh, I'm gonna, you know, this topic can be pretty heavy and sometimes things can kind of just come up. But again, we like to kind of be in conversation with each other, like we're just having coffee at a, at a local place here. And I'm gonna turn it over to Lucy to uh, ask a question of the group. All right, I think you guys already know this question. So, um, Given that it sounds like a lot of us had gone through quite a bit mentally, emotionally, or just, you know, physically with the past few weeks, I just want to do a check-in with you all to see um, what you've been doing to take care of yourself. So I'm going to start with Robin, because you're the baby. Oh, that's right. <laughs> so I also uh, saw the note, uh, if we can also add Madison George and Earth Feather Sovereign. Uh, to our war cry. Uh, also, uh, thank them or for who tagged us um, uh, about this issue. And so we're, we're looking into uh, what, what that whole situation is. Um, uh, for self-care, I guess it's mainly been around coffee. Uh, we were joking around earlier how we just like just decided not to sleep at all. And that's just kind of how it's been going lately. <laughs> Uh, so coffee, uh, I've just been trying different coffee in different coffee shops, and that's been kind of a fun thing for me, uh, and then trying to get better at my coffee, and I guess the, the self-care part is I make sure it's always pumpkin something, it's like I don't really, I always laugh at all the memes, like I don't care if it's basic, I really love pumpkin everything, so <laughs> this is my favorite time of season, uh, and then just watching Harry Potter, like something about the fall time, just drinking pumpkin and watching Harry Potter has been really satisfying. Thanks, Robin. And that sounds so wholesome. Um, Emily's turn. Um, I bought a pair of running shoes. I actually was fitted for them at a local place uh, here in Yakima, Vox Shoes. And uh, it's been a while since I ran. I ran cross country in high school. I ran half marathons. Since I had kids, I you know decreased that. And then this morning I took a walk. <laughs> 
So <laughs> I think there's a big stretch goal in my future of being able to really pick up back to the 5Ks, but I acknowledged this morning that I was in a walking mode. So I had a 17 minute pace, which I felt good about. And just, you know, getting out and having some sunshine and making sure that my feet touch the earth is very important as I think and pray about all these families and was making this request of them. And, you know, when I was finishing my stretching, I had thought about a family member and immediately pulled out my phone and saw that they had messaged me um, a confirmation about something. And so it just, to me, speaks to the level of connection that we have for people in our community, even if it's not through spoken word immediately right away. Um, and that's where I gain strength. You know, I gain strength not just from who I am as a person, but also who I am in the community and who the community, um, the support and strength that they provide to uh, me and my family. Thank you. That's really beautiful. And I, I appreciate that consistent reminder of touching the earth and being grounded. All right, Miss Whitefoot, it's your turn. You're on mute, Patsy. I want to share this time um, just to share that um, I appreciate and acknowledge and respect um, uh, the deep friendship that I had with a loved one who just passed on just recently. And we had a great working relationship with one another and talked with one another. And um, when we would talk, I would remind him of, about making certain we're taking care of our health. And so what I've been doing this summer uh, has been taking care of all of my doctor appointments. I do annual checkups every summer and I start in June and I try to get through them by the end of summer because I don't wanna be traveling to uh, doctor appointments in the rain. And because I've got to go down to the Tri-Cities as well, which is about, you know, about two hours away from where I live here in White Swan. So I try to get everything done before the snow comes. And it's a message that I also share with my, you know, my family as well. Uh, it's interesting that it's a real challenge for the men folk in my life, uh, you know, sons, you know, nephews to even want to do health checks. So that's a message to the women out there to make certain that you're also taking care of your health and doing your health checks as well. Uh, we deserve to have better uh, quality of life in our lives. And we wanna be here for not only my great-grandchildren, but my great-great-grandchildren. So thank you all. Thank you, Patsy. And I also just want to acknowledge really quickly um, that we have experienced quite a, a big loss in our community. Um, so I just want to uh, let you know the family know that we are thinking of them during this time. And it's also hard to be able to show that support because we're experiencing COVID right now. Um, but just know that, you know, we're 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 here and um, yeah. I don't know what else to say to that other than, you know, you guys are in our thoughts as well. Uh, for myself, um, so last week I actually went to a doctor's appointment and so it really kind of it uh, put a fire under my butt, so to speak, to <laughs> try to be better about taking care of myself. 
um, being 42. And so um, also, you know, being at um, just on this border of some health disparities. Um, my younger sister actually challenged me to start walking and we agreed that we would walk on the same days, which, um, by the way, I did my walk and she didn't, but she made up for it. So, uh, we're doing a healthy competition, sibling competition, just to keep each other in check, to just establish the habit of walking. And, um, my sister, uh, she's the baby, but she does not live here, um, in Washington state. She actually lives in Baltimore. So, uh, you know, we just text each other and we just try to encourage each other to, to keep that up. So the past week I was able to go walking twice and I actually took my youngest one with me and we look at all the neighborhood dogs and cats and, you know, we just have fun doing that. So that's what I've been able to do. Awesome. Can I bring up something before we uh, uh, leave is, so we talked about some resources and one uh, that can kind of lead into our next show is the a National Indigenous Women's Resource Center. Um, I think we didn't really get into it because we're gonna let them kind of cover that next week. So definitely next week, tune in for all of the things they do. They do so much. Yes, definitely National Indigenous Women's Resource uh, Center. Uh, and we also have uh, additional announcements. These are our end of show announcements. <laughs> we have beginning of show announcements and all this stuff. Again, we, had an episode kind of planned out and we just topsy-turned it all just to you know give this information to our community. Uh, Patsy did mention that we have uh, the little swan dancers that will be performing at the state fair this Saturday. And um, we also have our War Cry podcast prints up in the egg building at the state fair. Uh, it's connected with the uh, exhibit by Native artist uh, John uh, Alney Schellenberger with Native Anthro. Additional uh, announcements. <laughs> uh, okay, additional announcements completed. Anything else will be on our social media. I do want to thank everybody that's joining us live on YouTube. I did not see any comments um, or insight, but feel free to send us a message if you have a loved one and that you want us to uh, get information about or other information. Uh, for credits, this episode is edited and produced by Robin Pibashi. Music by Lee Sikakwaptiwa. Logo and shirts by John Only Schellenberger with Native Anthro. And again, we're live on YouTube on Thursdays at noon Pacific time and available to stream on all platforms. Check our uh, social media and website for specific uh, schedule dates. Uh, thank you again, Sheikh Pachwai. I'm Emily Washings, and thank you to my co-hosts of War Cry Podcast, Robin Pibashi, Lucy Smartlawit, and Patricia Whitefoot.